Amen. God wants us to be the light. In fact, he's called us to be the light. He's called us to be changed, transformed, that we could be the light that he wants and longs for us to be. But to do that, we have to understand what that means. And if we don't know what that means, how will we ever be able to walk that out? God wants us to, listen, God wants to do all sorts of things in our life, but he wants to move through our understanding so that we can begin to believe the things that we don't understand. So we have got to learn. We have to allow God to speak into our lives. That's where, again, I want to encourage you to be a part of some of these Bible studies where you can begin to learn what that means to walk out your salvation. Do we really know what that means? We need to. Amen. Amen. He wants us to be the light. Yes, he does. We are going to uh, back into, pick up where we were um, about a month ago in the Gospel of Luke. Looking into Luke's investigation here, we are going to go into, which is, seems weird right now, into Luke chapter 2. I know, weird, weird time to go into Luke chapter 2. And I thought about that, and I thought, well, there was just no way I could stall it and uh, make it, you know, and I, and I really felt the Lord saying, but why would you want to do that? God never intended for that message to be something that was only preached in December. In fact, as I began to study, began to look into this, and began to read, I realized more and more that this is a message that needs to be preached weekly. If we don't get this message, then there really isn't any other messages that we're going to get. And we've got to understand this, as, as, as again, because it is a basic foundational principle. But again, I think it's one that gets skipped over, and I'll tell you why I think that. I'm going to share with you in the Gospel of Luke, we're still going through Luke's investigating the Jesus, the Christ, the God-man. Luke is taking a look at that, and today we're going to take a look at what Luke found in his investigation of the birth of Christ. Now, last Christmas... I went through the first eight verses here, and I spent three weeks diving into that and going into that. Those are still on the website. You can go back, and you can check those out if you would like. I'm, I'm going to read through those verses. I don't normally try to read through long stretches of Scripture because I, I know that people get distracted and they lose context. And I want you to please stay with me in this. I want to read through these first 21 verses with you. And I want to go through what I preached about last December. I'm not going to re-preach that, but I'm going to read that. Because it's important that we have this whole thing in the context as God has spoken this to us. And so let's just go ahead and and take a look at this in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own hometown. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time 
came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, that's, again, what we talked about last time, or I talked about last December. It's hard to believe that it's already September. Um, But, again, I'm not going to focus on that. What I want to focus on, and I want to keep this in context right here, is this portion of Scripture here, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good, a news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning the child. Again, made known what? They made known what the angels had said to them, that, that there was going to be great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the King. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So that's what these guys went in there, and that's what they told them that the angels had told them out in the field. And so they told them what the angels had said. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Really? Shepherds, really? But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this description of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the way in which you did it. We want to thank you, Lord, and I pray that what has become so familiar would become revelatory in our lives, in our hearts. I pray, God, that we would begin to understand what simply had been familiar before, that, God, you will speak to our hearts, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way in our lives, have your way in this place. I pray that you would begin to transform and cause people's lives to be washed with the water of the word. Help us, Lord, to be sanctified. Help us, Lord God, today to walk in the grace and glory that you have provided for us. God, peel back this roof and let your face shine upon us today. Thank you, Lord God, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you that your word, as it's been released into this place, shall not return void, shall not return without doing that which you intended in each and every life. Amen. Amen. So here we are. We finally made it, the birth of Jesus. Come on, amen. 
just a little side note. You know that the birth of Jesus, I mean, this amazing fee, this thing that happened, the birth of Jesus, do you know that there were in the Old Testament over 400, over 400 prophecies about the birth of Jesus? I think you get different counts in different places, but there's over 400 prophetic words, prophetic promises that were given to the birth of Jesus that were fulfilled when Jesus was born. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, over the years, uh, 400 different prophetic words, thus saith the Lord's, that were spoken over all that time, and they were all fulfilled in that one baby's birth. Come on, and that's amazing. What's God trying to tell us in that? He's trying to confirm to us that this truly is who I said. And he did that by giving prophetic words of what was going to happen. And all of those prophetic words were fulfilled in that one birth, in that one baby, in that Emmanuel. Do you also know, maybe some of you do, there was 400, over 400 prophetic words about the birth of Jesus Christ, the first birth. Do you know that there is over 1,800 prophetic words about the second coming? Over four times the number of prophetic words and prophetic promises were given to the second coming as to the first. Church, Jesus is coming. Jesus is returning. Jesus will come for his bride. I mean, see, that, that kind of slipped by. That should get a way better amen than what you guys are giving here. <laughs> Jesus is coming for his bride. Yes. Is the bride ready for his coming? And according to Scripture, that should be a scary thought. That should be a daunting thought. So I think God wants us to know. I mean, the fulfillment of prophecy that happened in Jesus' birth and then the, you know, four and a half times the number of prophetic promises and words given to the second coming. We should be taking this seriously. You know what? You need, you need to get into a class. You need to get into a Bible class. You need to begin to study. You need to know God's word. Because the Bible says that in these last days, there's going to be a great falling away. A great falling away. And do you know, I believe that the, the great falling away will be those who claim to know Christ but never decided to put any effort into knowing what the Word of God has to say about Him, to what the Word of God has to declare about Him. We, did, we didn't know what the Word of God said about the Holy Spirit. We didn't know what the Holy Spirit was here to do, what His purposes and plan. We didn't know because we never studied. And He says there's going to be a great falling away. Anyway, that, that's all, that's not what I'm preaching about today. <laughs> but it's so vitally important. All these things are, are vital to our understanding, vital to our lives. And we, we, we honestly sometimes take them with a grain of salt. And so here we are 
at the birth of Jesus. I wanna focus in on this for a couple of minutes here because the, the, the birth of Jesus Christ was something that history had been um, waiting for. History had been anticipating for thousands of years. They'd been waiting for this birth of the Messiah, birth of Christ. Ever since the very first sin in Genesis chapter three, when man fell in the garden and God came and he said to the enemy, he said that there was gonna be, there was gonna be a savior, a redeemer that would come from the seed of woman. Not from the seed of man, but from the seed of woman. God was already, back in Genesis chapter 3, at the time of the fall, he was already providing for a savior, a redeemer, one who would come to redeem God's people. And there was this promise that we had of the savior that would come. And all through the Old Testament, thousands of years of history had been waiting for the coming of the Savior. From that moment, everyone had been waiting. Every generation, is this the generation? We're the generation. Yes, he's coming. And they were waiting, anticipating the Savior. And during all of that time, all along the way, there were these prophecies, over 400 of them, that were given, these prophecies that were spoken, these promises that were being revealed through the servants of God, through these prophets that were speaking these prophecies, thus saith the Lord's. And he was talking and bringing these things and sharing these things and all of these things that were coming that were describing and declaring this one that would come who would be Emmanuel. God, he was telling us through history that God was coming to be with us. Amen. And that's what was happening. And then he was telling in this place here, he was saying, and the one who is coming, Emmanuel, he's going to be born of a virgin and is going to be born in Bethlehem. Those were just a couple of the prophecies of, uh, that were given. And so Luke, and just a, a brief recap, Luke, we've got Luke, and again, I want you to understand, Luke, I told you this before, but Luke was Greek, he was not Jewish. And Luke was hired by another Greek guy who had heard about Jesus, but it was going to be really costly for him to, to declare that he was a follower of Jesus if he wasn't really the Christ, if he really wasn't who he says he was. So he hires Luke, he pays Luke, this great historian, to go out and to do this this investigative study and he takes all of his investigative skills all of his intellect all of his abilities and he takes these and he puts them together and he writes this truthful accurate historical biograph biography of Jesus and he writes all of this down and he puts it together and what Luke tells us and we've been studying this for the past while is that that there was on an occasion and God hadn't spoken to the church. It had been hundreds of years. God had been silent from the time of Malachi. He hadn't said a word. He hadn't done anything. He hadn't uh, revealed himself. And, and all of a sudden, there's this time where Luke tells us the angel Gabriel, he comes and he, and he begins to speak to this barren elderly couple, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they'd been wanting a baby. They'd been wanting a child. They'd been praying for a child. And now here they are. They're beyond childbearing years. And they've almost lost all hope. And Zechariah, he's a priest, and he's been called to Jerusalem. It was his turn that year, and he was, goes to Jerusalem, and he's doing his priestly duties, and he's selected to go into the holy place to make sacrifice, to go into the holy place and light incense. It was like his first time. He had never been there before. It's like, wow. And he goes in there, and the angel Gabriel comes from the curtain, and he, and he 
the first time in hundreds of years that anybody's heard anything from God. And the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a child, and you're gonna, your wife is going to give birth, and you're going to name him John, and he's going to be the cousin of Jesus. And he's going to come into this world, and he's going to be the forerunner. He's going to be the prophet. He's going to be the preparer of the way of the coming of Jesus the Christ. And then the angel Gabriel, same angel, goes over to this little town of Nazareth, this little insignificant place, and he goes and he begins to speak to this little teenage girl, this young girl named Mary, who's betrothed, engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. And he reveals to her that she has found favor, that God in his favor and in his grace has chosen her, that she's the one. God had, had, had found favor in his sight so Mary was the one that was chosen to give birth to Jesus, the Christ, the God. God had become a man. Mary, obviously, that first question is, well, how can this be since I'm still a virgin? And imagine the angel, just my paraphrase, exactly. I know you're a virgin. This is going to make it a miracle. And Mary, I want you to know that you're the virgin that Isaiah prophesied about through which the Christ would come. And all of this is happening, and all this went on. These are things that Luke is investigating, and he found out through eyewitnesses and through study and through talking to people that all of that happened. And then it's approaching the time. Mary's about ready to give birth, and, uh, and at that moment, the government calls for a census. The government thinks this is a good time. The government thinks this is their plan. Well, God has a different plan. Well, they call for this census, and everyone is required to go to their own hometown to register. But Joseph and Mary, both of them, they're from the line of David, and so that means that they have to travel to Bethlehem. Man, what terrible timing. We're about to give birth. Are you kidding me? We have to go to Bethlehem now? We, are you kidding? I'm about ready to give birth. This is terrible timing, God. And how many of you question God's timing in your life? Well, they got to travel to Bethlehem. <laughs> and, and I can only imagine, you know, I, I get, Joni's, Joni had to go home to be with her mom, so I can say this. <laughs> <laughs> I get, I get upset with Joni because, well, especially the only time I ever get upset with her is when she makes me late. I hate being late. And it's like, church happens at this time every week. Why is it a surprise every week? We, we knew we had to be there at this time that doesn't mean that's the time we start getting ready or, or times when I'm trying to get somewhere. And, and again, I can be really focused and I, I want to get there. And so I'm trying to get there. Come on. I can't let that guy beat me to the shoe store. And, and it's like going through Costco. Come on. We're, they're going to be out of grapes. Come on. <laughs> and, and, and so I can imagine Joseph 
I mean, he sounds like a really patient guy to me. But I can imagine that, you know, here it is. His wife is, is nine months pregnant. And it's a long trip through the desert. And I don't know if they were walking or maybe they had a donkey. But either way, that was an uncomfortable trip. And can't you just imagine all these people that are headed to Bethlehem and Joseph's walking along and he's like, Mary, come on. All these people are beating us. Because it's always a race, right? Isn't that what the highway is? Just a raceway? We've got to beat them. Well, he's like watching all these people passing by. All these people are walking. Mary, come on. They're, gonna, they're all beating us there. And then they get there. And the town is filled with people. Great. See, now, I told you we needed to be here earlier. If we'd have been here earlier, we would have beat all these people here. And we would have been able to go and find a place. Because now, look, there's no place for us to stay. What are we going to do now? There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to stay. There's no openings at the inn. They just rejected us over here. I don't know what we're going to do. And, and they end up in a barn. Can things get any worse? Come on, now we're in a barn. God, what's going on? We're in the world. God, what's going on? And then to make things even worse, that's the night she gives birth. Talk about an awful plan. In Mary's eyes, could things have really gotten any worse? It's like, great. Not only did I give up my plan to a wonderful marriage to this man, but I go, now, God, you come and you mess that whole plan up by making me get, be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I, I'm virgin birth here thing. I, I, I mean, come on, this has really been awful. It would have been for her. And on top of all that, to add insult to injury, now we're forced, while I'm nine months pregnant, the most uncomfortable I could, how many of you ladies at nine months pregnant would like to make a hundred mile walk through the desert? And now there's no place to stay. And, and we're in a barn. And, I'm, and, and well, that, that's the night that I have to give birth. And we don't even have any place to put the baby. Great. Can't you just hear? God, uh, thanks a lot, God. But you know, Galatians says that all of this happened in the fullness of time. All this happened in the perfection of God's timing. God's timing is perfect. How many of you have ever had conflict between God's timing and your timing? How many of you know that one timing is perfect and one is not? Guess which one's which. God has a timing in all of this, but so does Mary. And Mary's timing, and Mary's timing in all of this, this is terrible timing. But God's saying, you know what? The timing's perfect. Because what did God do? God worked all this out so that this little couple from Nazareth who would be in Bethlehem at just the right time when they were getting ready to give birth and they gave birth to Jesus and he was born of a virgin in Bethlehem at just the right fullness of time, fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies, words, and promises. 
Come on, somebody say, praise God. If God can do that in this, in this situation, let me ask you, what is it that he can't do in yours? The difference is that Mary submitted to God's plan. And most of us fight to make God submit to our plan. That did not bring a very good amen right there. It's just true. And here we have Jesus then, because there's no place for him, and they don't have a place. So what do they do? They, they look around. All they have is a dirty trough. And so they take Jesus. They don't even, they don't even have an outfit for him. So what they, they wrap him in these swaddling clothes. And they, they take this little baby wrapped up in this cloth, and they lay him in a dirty manger. You know, he comes not in wealth. Jesus comes in poverty. He comes not in a big fancy city. He, he, he comes in a small, insignificant town. He doesn't come to famous parents. He doesn't come birthed of kings and, and, and princes. He, he comes of humble peasants. He's laid into his, the king of kings is laid into his first throne. A dirty animal trough. Wrapped in the sweaty cloth that they could find wrapped around them. Church, I want you to recognize that our God comes humbly into human history. And you know what? That's the story. That's what happened in this whole time. And so we know that, that God had been silent since the book of Malachi. God had been silent for hundreds of years. And then he comes, and the first thing he does is he goes and speaks to Zechariah. And then he goes over and he speaks to Mary. We know that Zechariah prophesied over John. But that's it. I mean, that's... That's the declaration of, of God's involvement in mankind at that point, in human history at that point. And, then, and we know from Luke, because Luke, you know, would have gone out and investigated this whole story. And the next thing that Luke would have done was, I need to investigate in this birth of Jesus. I need to investigate what happened. I need to go talk to these shepherds. I need to go interview these guys. I need to go interview the guys that were there that at that moment. I need to go talk to those who were around there at that moment. I need to talk to those who talked to those guys at that moment. And he went out and he did this investigative study. And he, he shows us that out of there in the field, Jesus birthed is announced to the shepherds that would have blown them all away verse 9 and the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear one reason they were filled with great fear was because everybody was filled with fear when an angel showed up Come on, angels, angels are not little cupids with a tiny bow and arrow, little babies with wings on their back. You'll read biblically that when, when angels showed up, people fell to the ground in fear and trembling. But I also think that there was this added element that, these, that the angel shows up and to these shepherds 
And these shepherds, not only did they know that they were in the presence of the angels, but they knew who they were in the presence of the angels. They knew who they were. They knew what kind of men they were. They knew what kind of things they had done. They knew that they were the most unlikely people ever to have been chosen for a good news to be declared to. And their first thought had to have been, this is the end, guys. God finally caught up with us and he sent an angel. Say goodbye. How many of us have been in a position like that? Oh, you know what? If God shows up, it's toast for me. I mean, I can't, I know what I've done. I know where I've been. I know the things that I have committed, the sin that I have walked in. I know what I've done. This is why so many people are afraid to walk in the presence of God. Because they're afraid of God's judgment. They're afraid of the judgment because God knows what I've done. This is where we have to have the full understanding of grace. Otherwise, what we do is we act religious, but we never walk into this intimate personal relationship because we're afraid that God will smite us. Like these shepherds, I'm sure these shepherds thought the same thing. They were the most unlikely group that would be chosen. You know what, you know what it's like? You ever played the shepherd's part in the church Christmas story? I got the part of a shepherd. Great. You know, we, we think that John the Baptist was weird. Shepherds were the ultimate in weird. These guys were strange. They were crazy. These guys, they, they, they lived out in the field by themselves. They were out there and they, they were outside of town. They didn't come into town hardly at all. They didn't have much interaction with people. They slept out in the field with the animals. That's who they spent all their time with. <laughs> some, some of you think that's an upgrade, huh? <laughs> These guys were out there. Listen, I was reading through about the shepherds. A shepherd's job was not something that you shot for. Okay, I, I can't wait to grow up and be a shepherd. No, you didn't want to be a shepherd. A shepherd was something that you just ended up being. I mean, it's just something that you ended up being because of all, some of the bad choices that you made in your life. You ended up being a shepherd. You didn't choose to be one. And the other thing these guys had going against them was that they, they, because of the sheep and because of their commitment, these guys weren't able to make it into the temple for sacrifices and for all sorts of feasts. They weren't able to get there because they couldn't leave the flock. If they left the flock, then either the other shepherds would have stole them or the wild animals would have come and taken advantage of them. So these guys weren't even able to partake in any of the religious festivities and ceremonies and things like all the rest of God's people. And because of the nature of the job, in that day, shepherds, many, because of the nature of where they were and what happened, most of them were crooks and thieves. You didn't trust a shepherd in that day. Hey, don't turn your back on a shepherd. Do you know that shepherds were so looked down upon that in that day, a shepherd was not allowed to give eyewitness or testimony in court because their word was no good. Simply being a shepherd meant that their word was not able to be used in court. 
These guys were the lowest of the low. And so when the angel showed up to them, they thought, here it is, this is it, this is our end. This was shocking to them. And again, part of the reason was because nobody ever showed up to hang out with the shepherd. No, if somebody ever came out into the shepherd's field, it was because they wanted to find the shepherd that did this or did that or stole this or stole that. They came hunting them, not coming to hang out with them. And so this angel shows up and the angel comes and he says, oh, hold on, guys. I came to tell you that the Messiah has come. Imagine the shepherds. They were the last people who would ever have expected to hear any good news, a message from God through an angel. Yet they do. Church, get that through our minds, that they do. And I find it amazing. Funny, not like, Haha, funny, but funny like in really, really special. Because I, I, I want you to see this. That God, in this moment, what God is doing is God is fulfilling hundreds of prophetic words in this moment. All those 400 plus prophecies are being fulfilled in this moment. Thousands of years of planning for since the fall in the garden until that point, God had been planning all of this all along. And he chooses, listen, he chooses God in all of the thousands of years of planning and the hundreds of prophetic words and things that would be fulfilled. God chooses to do it in this humble way. Through this humble little girl named Mary. And to make the first announcement about the birth of Emmanuel to a bunch of humble shepherds. It is totally amazing to me how God takes these lowly, these things that are nothing, these things that are not, these things that are, are, are of no use in a worldly manner, these things that are nothing, and he works his glory through his grace. You see, some of you think that you have done too much and you've gone too far. That just like the shepherds, when the angels showed up, they knew who they were. And some of you know who you are. You know what you've done. You know what you've committed. You know the sin in your life. You know the refusal to repent, to change. You know what's going on. You know the desperate way in which you despise so much of that. And you think that God can't come to me. God can't speak to me. If God can do this in this most humble way, the biggest announcement ever, if he can do this in the most humble way through this humble little girl to declare to these humble shepherds, what is it that God can't do in you? What is it that you have done that God can't redeem? What is it in your life that has happened where God can't take that and work that through his grace? to bring glory to himself. Amen. And he redeems. He even here in this, he redeems this humble profession. Do you know that Abraham was a shepherd? And the angel, the, the, the Lord of God, he came to him in Haran. God came to the shepherd. You know that Moses was a shepherd? And he was out in the field and he was taking care of Jethro's flock when the Lord came to him in a burning bush. 
You know, David was a shepherd. King David, the little boy who slays Goliath. Do you know, David was a shepherd and the Lord God called him while he was taking care of Jesse's sheep out in the field. God came to him. The prophet Amos, he says, God, why are you asking me to preach? I'm just a shepherd. Church, do you know that Jesus Christ comes as the good shepherd? That Jesus Christ comes to be that shepherd that would lay down his life for the sheep? In John chapter 10, in 1 Peter chapter 5, it calls Jesus the good shepherd. It calls him the chief shepherd of his church. God redeems even this very unpopular, even this very insignificant profession. And he shows us, church, he shows us that he is willing and he is humble to come and to look after his sheep. Even though if you look at it, Sheep are not the most brilliant animals. Come on, they're not. Sheep are totally defenseless. How many of you ever gone to the petting zoo and been scared of the sheep? People were just people aren't scared of sheep because they're just not scary. And the Bible says that you and I, he calls us like sheep. Defenseless. Careless, wandering, not the sharpest tool in the shed. What are you talking about, Pastor Mark? I, I am, I'm very smart and I got lots of ideas. Maybe for a sheep. God just wants us to understand where we are in regards to him. And, and church, listen, the way in which, and in that day, this is just what's amazing and, and why God used this. The way in, in that day, when, a, when a, shepherd, a shepherd would tend his sheep, that means the shepherd would pull back the wool and find out where the wounds were that he would care for his sheep, that he would check on, that he would touch. Every day, the shepherd would touch every sheep. And he would take care of those places where they'd been cut or hurt or wounded. He would take care of those places where they were broken. He would get them when they were out stray and bring them back into the fold. He would touch each and every one of them as he tended to them. That's what the shepherd would do. A shepherd was devoted to his sheep. That shepherd, he couldn't go into religious ceremonies because the shepherd was out there with the sheep and he was devoted to those sheep and he would not leave those sheep. He would not forsake those sheep because without him, he knew that they would be easy prey. So he would not forsake them or leave them. The shepherd was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. He was willing to stand against the bear. He was willing to stand against the lion. He was willing to put his life on the line. For what? For the sheep. And in that same manner, Jesus comes as the good shepherd. Praise God. And his announcement, the announcement of the coming of Jesus Christ, is made to shepherds. 
and the announcement that the Christ, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God has come. The Messiah has come. God has become a man. And listen to me. God makes the biggest announcement, the most anticipated announcement, the biggest thing to ever happen in the history of the world. Nothing had ever been bigger. Nothing had ever been more important. No announcement had ever been made that was any more important than this. And what does God do? He makes that announcement to shepherds out in the field tending their sheep. And, you know, we don't know for sure, but more than likely because of the logistics and where they were and what was going on at that moment, it's very, very possible, and this is just my own from study, this is what I, you can take this or leave it. But I believe that those shepherds that were out there in the field that night, that they were out there and very likely they were the shepherds that were raising the sheep that would be sacrificed in the temple for the sins of men. Think about that. These shepherds are out here and they're raising sheep. They're raising these lambs. They're raising them up so that they could be used as sacrifice in the temple for the sins of man. And God comes to a group of shepherds who are taking care of the sacrifice for sin and says, I want you guys to know that the Lamb of God has come. And why I believe that is because these guys who would not forsake the sheep, why is it then that all of the sudden, all of them are willing to walk away from their sheep and go to town? I don't know, if you have a different idea on that, email it to me. But uh, that, it all seems to fit together that these were very likely the sheep that were being tended to by these shepherds. I just, and again, I, I think the irony of that is just amazing. And the angels, they, they report all this, and there's rejoicing, there's praising, and the Bible says that the angel and the, the heavenly host head back to heaven, and the shepherds then begin to make this journey into town. And they, they head towards town, not sure exactly how far, how long, but I'm sure it took them some time to make this journey. And these people uh, that, that are there filling the town, the town is full of people that are registering to, to, for the census, and they're trying to find this baby. All they know is that a baby's been born in Bethlehem, and we're going to find him. He's the Messiah. And to, to know that it's him, the angel said that he, you know, he, he's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger? I mean, even the shepherds had to go, who puts a baby in a manger? Yeah. Well, let's go see. And so they come into town, they start asking questions. Anybody seen a baby that's been born lately? You guys hear of any babies? You guys hear any babies crying in the night or anything going on, you know, and, and searching? Okay, now, where would we find a trough? Where would we find a manger? Let's go look in places like that. And they start searching barns. And finally, they come across this barn and they walk in and these shepherds come and they see this little baby laying in a trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And I'm sure this journey took them quite a while. And seeking Jesus, they were looking for him, seeking Jesus. Do you know, I was reading that, and I thought, man, you know what? It's because they were seeking Jesus that they found Jesus. Amen. Listen, when you seek Jesus, truly seek him, you will find him. They were looking for the Messiah. 
not just a baby. They were looking for the one that the angels had described. And when they sought Jesus, they found him. And church, when you seek Jesus, you will find him. The question is, will we be willing to truly seek him? And so, every Christmas, we celebrate all this, right? There we go, your Christmas message in September. Labor Day. You know, I would imagine that most of you have, uh, or many of you anyway, have homes that at the Christmas season you pull out your nativity set. And we have these nativity sets. And in that nativity set, we've got, you know, we got the kings and we got Ma little Mary and we got little Joseph and we got this little trough. And inside of that, we put this little tiny baby Jesus. And, and then behind that, we've got the shepherds back in the back with the, with the uh, animals. And, and, and we set up our nativity set, right? And I, and I was reading through this, and I, I, I really, I, this is one of those sections of Scripture that we are all, because of, again, I mean, there's a lot of people that, I mean, their journey to church happens on, April, on, on Easter and Christmas, you know? And so no matter what they know about the Bible, this is the one story that they're familiar with because they know it and hear it once a year. And for those of us that are a part of, uh, you know, those that are in church all the time, I mean, this is a story that you have heard over and over and over again. And I really do believe this is one of those sets of Scripture that we can become so familiar with it that we're not familiar at all with it. We, we hear it, and we read it, and we go through it, and this whole thing, it's just one big story, and we tell our kids that story, amen, let's go see Santa. And we, we lose sight of this. We know what it says, but listen, we don't really know what it means. And there is a, a verse here in what God said. You know, how many of you know that God doesn't mince words? He doesn't waste words. God is not wordy. He says what he means, he means what he says, and he says it point blank. And he comes to these angels and he makes this announcement. And I want you to know that he gives these angels a very direct, very straight word that sometimes I think that we let become convoluted in us because we don't truly look at and understand the meaning and what it is to us that it should mean. And so we, we, over, we just kind of gloss over this. But the angels, the angel that day gave the shepherds this word in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. And he speaks this and he says this to the shepherds. He says, for unto you, for unto you. He doesn't say for unto the Jews, for unto Israel, for unto mankind. He says for unto you. Now the last people in the world that would have ever thought that this whole thing could be personal would have been shepherds. I love that the angel comes and says, unto you. You know what? I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what choices you've made in your life. All I know is unto you. God wants us to be personal with you. Not church, not any of that stuff. I, I, God wants us to be personal with you. Okay, and, and again, this is not spirituality. This is reality. 
that God wants to have a personal relationship with you. Just like he spoke to the angels. He, or the angels spoke to the shepherds and says, unto you. Make it personal, church. It has to be. Otherwise, it's just religious. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is, who is what? Who is Christ the Lord? Church, the angels, the angels said this to him. He said, unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Who is Christ the Lord? He is Christ the Lord. Not, not, he's not Christ and Lord. I mean, a Christ or Lord. He's Christ and Lord. He is Christ the Lord. It is who he is. And if you look up the definitions of what those words mean, Christ or Christos means Messiah. He is the anointed one, Savior. He's saying as the Christ, he is the one that they've been waiting for for thousands of years. All of the prophecies will be filled. He is Christ, the Lord. And that word Lord means supreme, master, God, meaning that the Savior would be God himself, that God himself would be the Savior, that God had come and he is still in this world, even as a baby, he is preeminent. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is over all. He is in all. He is God almighty and he is the one, God himself, that has come to be with us. God. Listen, he's saying this. God is our Savior. That's what the angel is talking about. And I, again, I want to emphasize this because this is the rightful, this is the exclusive, this is the position of Jesus Christ. He is Savior and Lord, not Savior or Lord. And this is one of those places where in our modern cultural church, we get really messed up because we don't really want him as Lord. We just want him as Savior because when he becomes Lord, it's just so overbearing. It's so controlling. I don't like the way he makes me do. I don't like what he tells me to do. I don't, I don't like, I don't. He just won't let me have a mind for myself. I want him a savior. I want to be saved. I want my get out of hell card. But that Lord part, in church, this is where Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7 about how many will come before me and say, hey, wait a minute, Lord. Hey, we did this and we did that for you. We served here and we served there. I taught Bible school. I prophesied. Away from me evildoer. I don't know you. See, there's a lot of people who want Jesus to be their Savior, but they keep wanting to do what they want to do, and so they won't let him be Lord. And if he's not, if he's not Lord, he's not Savior, because Jesus is not a divided God. He is Lord and Savior. It is, that is the I am of who he is. We can't divide who he is. He is Lord and Savior.
Is he your Lord and Savior? Does he have the right to tell you to stop doing something that you shouldn't be doing? Does he have the right to move in and to change your story? Does he have the right to come in and mess up your plans like he did with Mary? Does he have the right to come in and to dictate to you where you're going to go and what you should do and what you shouldn't do so that he can take you to the place that he wants you to be even when you don't understand where it is that he's taking you and what it is that he's doing with you and it doesn't feel good and it don't like it and it doesn't make me happy? Does he still have the right to say, this is where I need you to go? See, I'm afraid that there's a lot of us who would have to answer, no, I, I, I don't have that kind of relationship. Church, I'm afraid that what happens is that some of us are so familiar with the Christmas story, so familiar with the whole thing that verse 11 right here becomes just another line in the Christmas story. And we neglect the message, the truth of the message that's being declared. And we become so familiar with it. Do you know what familiarity breeds? Contempt. And that is so true. Familiarity, we become so familiar with the story that we just kind of disregard what it really truly means. We, or, or that word contempt means slighting. We, we slight it. I mean, we just... Eh. We don't give it the kind of preeminence that God does. So church, we, we lose sight of Jesus as Christ the Lord. That is who he is, God. And he came into this world to redeem the world, not to fit into it. He came to redeem your world, not to just fit into your world. He came to make new. And, and what do we try to do when the God who, he came to redeem the world. And what do we do? We try to make him fit into our world. We just, and we let him fit in where it feels comfortable. We just kind of, you know, it, it's okay. But you know what, if I, if I want to do this, you know, if I want to go run around, I, I can go do that because I, I'm, I can be forgiven. Church, we, we fit him and try to fit him into our worldview. And it's become very cultural in many churches. Our, our worldview. And we're, I'm going to talk about this in the coming weeks here. And I hope that you'll come because we're going to talk about some really interesting things. Our worldview is how we perceive our reality. How do you perceive your reality? How do you view it? How do you view God? And, and, and how do you view your relationship with God? How do you view your purpose in this world? And is the purpose something that you view as something that, that's for you or is it for God? How do you view that? How do you view or perceive what's going to happen after this life? Church, these are huge questions. 
These, these are existential questions that need to be looked at, that need the church, the body of Christ, needs to begin to look at some of these things and be honest with ourselves about where we stand in all of this. Listen, I, and I, again, man, this is the uh, Labor Day weekend. We, we, we are turning the corner, and it's really hard to believe. I even hate to say it. We are turning the corner towards Christmas. I know some of you have already thought about your tree and finding the decorations and getting those things out. Worship team, would you guys come on back up? I want to turn the corner, but I want to give you some time here. And I want us over these next few weeks to begin to consider and to take into account things that we can treasure and things that we can contemplate, things that we can ponder, to consider. I want, I want to take a look at some of these questions. What does it mean? Think about this. What does it mean that God became a man? And how does your worldview of that compare with God's view, God's biblical view of that? I mean, these are, this is a big question. This is something that we shouldn't be afraid to look at. This is something that we should truly be open in our hearts to look at. Does my view line up with God's view? If not, one of them's wrong. Guess which one? What does it mean that Jesus came humbly? And what does that mean to me? What implications does that have in my life? And, and, and what is my view of that in comparison to God's view of that? What is it that we think of that? How do we view it compared to what God thinks of it or how God views it? I think that we should absolutely look at that. What does it mean that Jesus is Savior and Lord? What does that really mean? What does that mean in your view, in your, in your worldview of that? And how does that con con contrast with God's view of that? And what do we need to understand? What do we need to let God transform? What do we need God to, to wash with the water of his word? What do we need God to cleanse in us? What do we need God to transform in us? Because listen, God didn't come to this world to get the mind of man. He came into this world to give us the mind of Christ. And are we allowing ourselves, our mind to be transformed? Because church, there's a lot of different ways of looking at this world. There's a lot of different ways that, and, and, and we're going to talk about this. A lot of this is stuff. Listen, Paul talked about this when he was give, writing his epistle to the Galatian church. When he was writing this letter, he was confronting in Galatians. If you read through it, you'll see where what Paul was doing is confronting a whole bunch of wrong worldviews. And he's saying, guys, I know these are the worldviews you had. I know this is the way you used to think. I know this is the way you used to believe. But listen, you come into this place of the grace of God and you've been saved by grace. Why are you going back to these old ways of thinking 
He's saying, let your mind be renewed. Let your mind be made new so that you can have the view of God, the view from God, the view through what God wants you to see, not the world view. And he's saying that the church, what you guys are doing is that rather than letting God change your worldview, you are letting your worldview change God. And that's why Paul was so strong. He said, you foolish Galatians. There's different ways that we view this world and and your place in it, your relationship in it, your relationship in it with God. And and what is going to happen after this life? I mean, what really does say? I know what we all hope will happen. But what does the Bible say will really happen? It's a fearful thing to be caught in the hand of an angry God. That's why I think this is so important of us, for us. Because even in the church, and for many of us, we try to fit little baby Jesus into our worldview. And we take and we make Jesus into something that God never said he was, that God never declared him to be. In fact, the opposite, much times the opposite of what God did describe. And so we try to fit Jesus into our worldview rather than accepting Jesus as Christ the Lord, as Lord and Savior, and allowing Him to transform and to destroy all of these other worldviews to create a biblical worldview centered around Him. Letting Jesus Christ be Lord Letting Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Savior of our life, become our worldview. That that we are just now ambassadors here. This is not where we're, this isn't where I live. My home is in heaven. You know, as long as Jesus Christ is just a good man, you can fit him into your worldview. But Jesus Christ the Lord will never fit into your worldview. He will demolish it. He don't fit. So church, is Jesus Christ the Lord in your life? Or is Jesus just another part of your world? That's something that you need to begin to contemplate. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look at some of these worldviews and how they've crept into the church and what it is that it really truly comes against. It comes against this. Unto you this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The enemy is okay with you believing in Jesus as Savior as long as he's not Lord. Because once Jesus in our hearts and in our lives, once we receive Jesus Christ the Lord, man, 
lives are filled with the fruit of his spirit, the power of his presence, the grace of the Almighty. We begin to find that what we are fighting for in our world, in our worldview, in our desires for the world is nothing in comparison to what God has in store for those who love and trust the Lord. Where are you at today in this? This isn't about your church attendance. This is about your personal relationship unto you. Has Jesus Christ, has he found his way into your life? He says this, he says for you and for me that we must be born again. And it is through Christ that no man might boast. It is only by grace, grace, God's wonderful grace. He wants to dwell in you as Christ the Lord. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord, we come and we thank you, God. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for what you have done. Lord, you are the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Christ. You are the one, Lord God, that hundreds of prophecies were spoken about, and you fulfilled every one of them, Lord. Not one of them was undone, but every one, Lord, was fulfilled in you for the sake of us knowing, Lord God, that you truly are the Christ. You are the one that the angels declared to the shepherds, Christ the Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for the foundation of this. For, Lord God, without the birth of Christ the Lord, then Christ the Lord is not the one who, raised, who was raised and lived a sinless life. The one who went to the cross to bear our burdens, to take our shame, and to die for our sins, to take the punishment, to take the wrath of God upon himself onto that cross and die for our sins. Lord and Savior that died for me and for you. If not for that, he could not have gone unto the grave and taken those three days and then at the end defeated Satan, defeated death, defeated hell, defeated the grave that could not hold him. Christ the Lord arose from that grave and today he's seated alive at the right hand of the Father we are the only ones the only religion with a Savior and you are Christ the Lord God Almighty that's come to earth to redeem man unto yourself God we thank you that no longer are those lambs in the field needed they're no longer necessary because we have now the true Lamb of God who was sent to redeem us and to forgive us for the sins of our life God we thank you for that today and if there's any in this place, Lord, that are apart from you, that maybe they've wanted a Savior but have not submitted to you as Lord, I pray that today, Lord, there would be a union, that there would be, Father, the cry of a heart that would say, God, I need this. I need you in my life. I need you as my Lord and my Savior. I repent of my sinfulness. I repent of my sinful actions and ways. And I come to you today, Lord God, and I need a Savior. I need my Redeemer. I need Jesus the Christ. Lord and Savior in my life and I receive you today Lord in the fullness of who you are come on it's by grace that he came to a bunch of shepherds it's by grace that he comes to a bunch of Twillians and he says receive this day for this is the day of salvation 
receive him today. Receive him. Make it personal. Unto you. Lord, unto me is born this day. judgment on anybody or anything like that. Listen, I just love you enough to share with you what I believe to be the truth. Only the truth can set you free. So I pray that you'll become a part of a, a, a life group. Go talk about some of this. You're going to want to have some of this because we're going to really talk about some, some stuff next week. I hope and pray that you'll make your plans to to be here. Don't let yourself be pushed away. Let God draw you into that place of fellowship, into that place of relationship, into that place of love. Church, I love you. I pray God's best for you. I pray that God will allow his face to shine upon you, that his glory would be received in your life, that his grace would become a controlling factor in your relationship with him. I pray for you, and I pray that God will bless you. Amen? Amen. Go be the church. Church is not dismissed. Church is released to go and to be the church. Amen? God bless you. Have a beautiful day, beautiful weekend. Go find a life group.